and welcome back for the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. This season is inching closer, and we are glad to be talking with you again. I am Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway on Twitter, and with me, as always, back in the saddle. We're coming up to a pretty big day for avid baseball fans, so check in with Matt Sells, at The Sellsman on Twitter. Matt, my friend, how is everything going for you? Uh, going pretty well. Yeah, we're coming up on it pretty quick here for pitchers and catchers reporting. Um, that's always, always a good, like it could be a literal blizzard outside. And if pitchers and catch, if I get footage of pitchers and catchers doing drills at, at team complexes, I'm in a good mood. I mean, I don't mind blizzards to begin with, but even so, like just people in baseball uniforms pitching and catching to each other just, just puts me in a good mood. Yep, absolutely. And we've, you know, we're, we're getting close to the, fortunate or unfortunate, however you want to talk about the best shape of their lives. As people report, start reporting soon, we're going to be in for that. Uh, but we do have some news and notes. If you haven't checked out over at fantasyalarm.com yet, the ML or the fantasy baseball draft guide is completely free. Content is being churned out left and right over their various positions, strategy pieces, DFS, seasonal. Uh, Matt's got his dynasty rankings out, which I'm actually referencing in an article that will be out next week for the Fantasy Alarm, Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide. So go ahead over to FantasyAlarm.com and get your, can I say copy, even though it's all online? Can I say your copy? Am I yeah. allowed to say that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a colloquial term. That'll be fine. Okay, yeah, your copy, your version, your your resource. Go get it over at FantasyAlarm.com. Your access to it. There your you access, go. that's probably much better. Access to it. Once again, free, F-R-E-E, free 99, free dollars, nothing to it, free, free, for the draft guide. So Matt, want to talk a little bit before we come back to the draft guide, but some news and notes that have come around. So I, many people can't see the show sheet that we have here. Uh, of course, I like to be a bit blunt with some of the things I put in there. So saw a report on Twitter that Mitch Keller is looking at adding a gyro slider to his mix or at least updating his current um, slider on Baseball Savant. It shows that he already has one kind of in the chamber there, but it looks like he's going to be tweaking it a little bit. Um, so SP1 upside for Mitch Keller this season with the addition of the gyro slider. Um, I mean, I know your your Pirates fandom is getting in the way of calling him an SP1. I mean, the Pirates would hope he's an SP1, right? They drafted him to hoping that he would be in the mix with, you know, the now departed Garrett Cole and Tyler Glasnow as, you know, aces of their future rotation. Uh, it hasn't worked out quite that way for Mitch Keller. I know he gets a lot of heat, but did anybody pay attention to what he did in the second half of last year? Because mm -hmm. he was markedly better in the second half of last year. Over his last 70 innings, he pitched to a 309 ERA, which is not terrible. I mean, if, for, for those of you that, that don't particularly like um, ERA, which, you know, fine, I can understand. Um He's still put up a 390 FIP. That's not that's not terrible. I mean, not great, not terrible. Um, it's better than you know, it's about what his first half actually was. So if you're looking at FIP, he was a 387 in the first half and a 390 in the second half of last year. That's actually a pretty steady season from him, despite the fact that the first half his ERA was not great. It was a four and a half. Um so, look, is it going to help his pitch mix? Yes, I, I think it will. Um, he has struggled with avoiding contact in the majors, to be to be sure. 
Um, he's not exactly been a strikeout guy for them. I mean, you know, he, he fared better against righties last year in the strikeout department in case per nine. He was at 8.69 against lefties. It was 6.78. So I think the slider will help him increase the strikeout rates to uh, lefties. And, and, you know, he can kind of bury it inside to them a little bit. But SP1's pushing it a little bit, I'm sorry to say, there, Colby. We can, we can edit out all that in post to just you saying I agree, and then we can move on. We can edit that in post. Or I say you can edit that in post, um, <laughs> and we'll get that updated. But Keller That's needs... to make me sound like I said Patrick Corbin was the ace of the Nats last year when he then went out and a literal flaming dumpster would have pitched better than Patrick Corbin? Post-production is a beautiful thing, my friend. <laughs> Post is a beautiful thing. But Keller needs a Keller needs another lateral weapon. That's what yes. he needs. And he needs something, something to help against left-handers. Yes. That's the big thing. And if he if this slider can be a, a bit more lateral, I mean, there needs to be some vertical break to it too. But if it can be a lateral weapon, like really looking at Keller, he needs to be able to build confidence in a whether it's a slider or something that he can just aim right at that back foot of a left-handed hitter. Like the back foot slider is such a powerful weapon against lefties. Or I guess if you're I right, mean, you can lefties, also, he needs it. You can also say like what would be an inside slider to a right. So like a front door slider to a lefty is, or back door, I guess back door slider to a lefty is pretty potent too. Cause if you can, if you can start it like a ball, but it breaks into the strike zone and gets called a strike, but it stays on the outer half, like the outer third of the plate, then that's a serious weapon. I agree that putting it back foot to a lefty as a lefty hitter is a very tough pitch to stay away from in my perspective, but it was also very tough for me to stay away from ones that were on the outer half that like you, you read it as a ball and you're like, it's going to stay out there. And then it breaks late. And you're like, I just got beat with like an un. Like, I can't do anything with that pitch. So, um, yeah, he, he needs something to keep lefties off of him for sure. And when you look at his pitch mix last year, I mean, when facing righties, he was four-seam slider sinker. That's what he pretty much went with. And then lefties, he was the four-seamer, the sinker, curveball. And then his slider actually, amongst all of his pitches, was the ones he used less against lefties. So he was basically attacking lefties with a four-seam fastball, a curveball that was more vertically breaking, and then a sinker that typically sinkers tend to run arm side, if anything. So he had nothing right. breaking in on a lefty. So lefties didn't have to sit, or they could. That's something they didn't have to worry about because right. you, you have, have two, it. You have two vertical breaking pitches. One of them is going to run away. So if he starts it on the inner half of the plate and it runs arm side, it's going to get too much of the plate. And his fastball doesn't have all that much movement on it like it's got tight spin but it doesn't really move that that much so you're talking about basically a straight pitch and two that are vertically breaking that you can't bury inside so yeah the the slider is going to be a big weapon for him i think this year Yep, and obviously there's a lot. I'm really interested to see in spring how he yep, utilizes the rest it. of the team isn't going to help him with very much in terms of like wins <laughs> But maybe his ratios uh, should be better this year because he also figured out a pretty decent pitch mix in the second half of last year, too, which helped get back to a 309 ERA. So he posted a 391 combined ERA last year. And one thing to note, too, here in 2023, their backstop, at least to begin the year, very good defensively. 
yes. should help should help the pitchers there a bit. Although in my an article coming out in the draft guide, I'm going to reference a young Pittsburgh catcher who I would like to see make an appearance this year. Are we going you know with talking about? But are we going with Andy Rodriguez or Henry James? Uh, this year, Andy. Yeah, I don't know if we'll. See, I don't because I think I don't, I don't think, think we'll see, see Henry, Henry this year. David. I don't think he, I think he needs at least another year in the minors. Yeah. I mean, catchers tend to take a little while to advance through the minors because they got to get not only the offense down, especially for Davis, but also you know the nuances of calling a game and getting handling a staff and handling yep. a staff and defense and. That's why catchers make very good managers in mm-hmm. the majors because they know a lot about a lot of baseball. And they got to know where everybody is at any given point in time. In Seattle, we got an update. Looks like George Kirby and Logan Gilbert are intentionally going to be limited early. Shouldn't come as much of a surprise when you consider the fact that Seattle probably has postseason aspirations again. Yes. And they want to, I don't want to say backload, but it's essentially what they're going to do. If, yeah. if they if they say, "Hey, we're getting 180 and 200 from Kirby and Gilbert," we want to get we want to be sure come season's end in the postseason that it's not a question. Our horses are ready to go. Um, in terms of drafting them, there seems to be no health concerns, so I don't really think we should really move them down the boards all that much. I that's my thought on the matter. I agree. Um, it's going to lead to a little bit of a slow start for some numbers obviously right um but baseball unless you're in like so let's caveat this i guess if you're in a head-to-head league would you drop them further down the board than if you're in a roto or a categories league probably i guess you might have to but i'm also i'd be very interested in buying the dip on them if there's going to be one yeah, I mean that's true. I'm just thinking like head to head if you're drafting one or both of them to be I don't know what SP3s for you basically. Um but they're going to slow I don't know. I don't know if I would actually because even though if you're playing head to head, I know the wins and losses matter, but fantasy baseball is still a marathon. Yeah, I mean that's why that's the only reason why I'm asking about head to head cuz it's more it's more week to week based than like, like for example, with Roto, like we've talked about this before, but a couple of years ago, I was 10th come June in my 20 team league, right? And like normally you've got no shot at that point. And Walker Bueller came up, this was his rookie year, and I didn't burn him. I didn't use him at all because I didn't suspect I was going to be in the money and I didn't want to cost myself a free year of Walker Bueller the following year. Um, and my team got hot and you know i wound up finishing second and it turned out that walker bueller would have produced enough points in that league for me to have won it but that's so like that's kind of my argument for this with roto is like it's a marathon you're going all the way through october so it doesn't really matter what you get out of kirby and gilbert in april if you're getting full innings and fresh arms in september right like I don't know. My only hesitation would be in head-to-head leagues. May I bump them around? Okay, maybe around, but that's about it. Yeah, and like, and then here's the other thing too. Like, at at a simple glance of a headline, going to be delayed. You know, they're healthy. They're healthy. That's the big thing. First off, they're fine. That's the main thing. But like, we look at it here. I mean, in 2022, including the postseason, Gilbert threw 191 innings. Like, you know, we say, what is it? Like the adding 30 ish innings a year. Like. 
Yeah. Okay. I understand not wanting to run your 26 year old out there for 225 innings. If you want to do that, I get that. That's fine. And his splits are a bit drastic. His ERA dropped over a run. If you look at the calendar first and second halves of the year. So like there was a drop off. So maybe that's what they're looking to. I think the innings limit's going to come maybe more in play for Kirby because between the minors and the postseason last year, we're looking at 164 ish innings. So 30 puts him right around 200. So you know, the, maybe preserving him from the long haul, I can understand. But other than Gilbert's ERA dropping in the second half and some of those other metrics, I mean, he's he's equipped to handle a full workload unless they're worried about the jump from 2021 to 2022. Well, okay. So if you think, okay, he went 191 innings last year, right? And if yeah. he makes, what, 32 starts this year, probably? He made 33 um, last year, only one in the postseason, so 32 regular season. Right. So let's say he makes another 32 and he goes, I don't know, six innings to start, maybe because Seattle likes to try to use their their starters a little more than everybody else. Um, so if he goes 32 starts and gets six innings to start, that's 192 innings. And then you're talking if they want to make a run in the postseason, which I think everybody is under the impression that they're probably a top four team in the AL this year so if you assume that they've got a shot to make it to maybe an alcs if everything goes correctly you're talking at least another three starts for him in the postseason and those even if it's a smooth sailing game there's a lot more stress on a postseason inning mm-hmm. than a regular season inning so you know if they make a long run you could see him get to 220 and i just think they'd rather keep him about the 190s mark yeah yeah and it's so i think that's what this is about yeah and again if they're if other people in your league are going to drop them down because of that report i am buying the dip on both of them and would be excited about it another one piece of news that we got i should say fantasy's favorite swing man as i like to say aaron ashby in milwaukee is going to start behind in camp due to shoulder fatigue i found this one interesting given that i mean technically you don't do much throwing in the yep. off season. So, and he did, I believe he missed three-ish weeks last year with a shoulder ailment. Yep. So uh I don't like this one compared to compared to the Kirby and Gilbert news. Um, this is incredibly worrisome for again, fantasy's favorite swing man. Agreed. Like it comes when they're just starting to ramp up their off-season throwing routine, right? Like every every team gives their guys off-season workouts to so that hey if you do this you'll come in we can hit the ground running in spring training and we don't have to use the first like three weeks of spring training to build you back up right like you can come in and be actually work on stuff and improve things in spring training so the fact that this comes when he's had a pretty mild off-season and already missed time last year with the ailment and you know, it's not like Milwaukee was a postseason threat. Um, it, it's definitely concerning, right? He's had he's had more time off than the Mariners pitchers have, and yet he's ailing, and he had less of a workload last year than those guys. So I'm a little concerned. I also don't typically like the swingman role 
for for fantasy because I just I it's just too hard for me to figure out exactly when they're going to pitch and what you're going to get out of them week to week. And like I get that in a relief role, he's got a better chance of picking up wins. But if you put a starter in a spot where they're not used to, then you have a better chance of having a blow up and hurting your ratios, which is way harder to come back from than picking up a lone win or something. So I'm I'm definitely very cautious with Aaron Ashby right now. And if this were an isolated incident, that's one thing. But looking back last year, I actually missed right. one. So in June, he went on il for left forearm inflammation missed a little bit and then had shoulder inflammation inflammation about a month and a half later so we're talking now so here's my here's my question with this is it is there a tommy john lurking and they haven't figured it out yet because my concern is he had the left forearm inflammation which is typically a sign that something is wrong in the elbow right mm-hmm and then if he changed stuff up to kind of protect the forearm and the elbow, that leads to the shoulder. Mm-hmm. So he either has to refigure out his mechanics or there's something else lingering there that they have not yet found. Well, and that's the game. That's the game we're going to play. And I think the bigger thing here too, health is obviously the paramount for him, but What's going to hurt from a fantasy perspective? I mean, first off, simply put, what is the saying? The best ability is availability. That's right. the saying, right? Yeah. So, like, that's going to be hampered. But for a guy who already was going to need a good spring to earn a rotation spot, he was already on the outside looking in. And the team still has Adrian Hauser, who is probably going to be their sixth starter as their like, de facto sixth guy. He was already on the outside looking in. Now comes to camp, is going to be behind, coming off a year where at times, very, very good. Don't get me wrong, but we now have a forearm and two shoulder issues in the past eight months. Yeah. And also, I'm not terribly high on Milwaukee to begin with. Like, I just don't, I just don't see where they're going with this squad. Yeah. It's, it's like, this general? is not good for Ashby's fantasy perspective because, like, basically now we've had this. If they weren't like, going to be cautious of him good. already, they are now. He's not beating out Burns, Woodruff, Lauer, or Peralta for the top four spots. No, there's one spot, and while he has the most upside, Miley and Hauser, albeit not as good at peak performance as Ashby, have proven that they can be, you know, reliable and available. Right. And then, oh, by the way, they have Bryce Wilson, who could be a starter if need be. Former Pittsburgh great. (laughs) Former (laughs) Braves prospect as a starter. Um so like they've got they've got options and obviously Milwaukee is a team that likes to get creative um with their staff but let's also not forget that they've got some they they've got some guys that could come up like Ethan Small could be there Jansen Junk yes we can make fun of his name but he's an okay pitcher um and uh Yes, Jason Alexander, not that Jason Alexander, but there is a guy named Jason Alexander in their system. These guys may be able to compete for um, for spots. So, I mean, they're not sexy names by any means, but this is not good news for Ashby because there's like seven dudes he's going to have to compete with, and he's already behind the eight ball. 
Yep, that is not where you want to be. So once again, we talked about the fantasy baseball draft guide here at Fantasy Alarm. It is free. Want to spotlight a couple articles. There's a ton of content. We would spend hours if we combed through every single one. But just this week, we started putting out positional spotlights. So each day of the week, there's positions coming out with insight into all the positions for um, fantasy baseball's purposes. So I want to ask Matt a couple of questions with the articles that we have on there. And selfishly, I'm going to start with mine. I'm doing the catcher. One or one of the positions I'm doing is catcher. Um, not a sexy position, but there are some offensive options to like if you find yourself wanting to attack the the upper echelon of this position. One thing I'm noticing compared to rankings, I don't have Sal Perez in my top five at the position. I'm just kind of out on him at price, but also in terms of production, I'm chasing upside with some youngsters instead. So simply put, you don't even have to go into too much detail if you don't want, but am I crazy for not having Sal Perez in my top five amongst the backstops in fantasy for 2023? Um, I'm not going to call you crazy because it's not the norm from what I'm seeing. It is not the norm. It's it's not the norm. I mean, to be honest, I've seen, I've seen Sal Perez in top fives basically across the industry. But Mm -hmm. as we went over last time, like catcher is a little bit more sneaky deep than, than we give it credit for. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you can make like Will Smith, who had a really good season last year, you can make a case that he's no better than the fourth catcher should tell you that it's decently deep, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't have a fault with anybody that's in your top five over Sal Perez. I really don't. I don't think he's much like I'm not saying he's like 10th. But like sixth or seventh, he was sixth for me. I, I'd be fine with, um, like I, 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 you can make a case for about six dudes to be in the t- six or seven guys to be in the top five, and if Sal Perez isn't one of them, then I don't have that big of a problem with it. It ultimately comes down to what you're looking at. So, like for me, when I'm looking at it, like when it Perez, he wasn't going in the top three for me, regardless. First off, even the top two. You'll read it in the draft guide, but it's pretty much what you're going to see across the board. It's Real Muto and it's Farsho. Those are the top two guys. They are the only true separators at the catcher position. It's them two. After that, for me, the reason that I have Adley Rutschman in there and then at four and five with Will Smith and uh, Alejandro Kirk, if I'm going to expect power bumps, mainly for Kirk and Smith to just be a little bit better, we're now getting similar power production at a better batting average. So you're it's Sal Perez with a higher batting average. Why would I not put those two above him? Is and there risk? Lineups too, for, correct. And don't get me wrong. Perez, he's as much as he's not the 40-plus home run bat he was two years ago or whenever that was now, he's also not a 15 home run bat. Like he's good power for the position, but I'm expecting power jumps for other guys and you're basically going to get a better average. So that was the reasoning, but you'll check out the whole article in the draft guide. Next up for me, second base, same thing. I guess I'm going against the grain here a little bit different. Marcus Semien per NFBC ADP, one of the top second basemen off the board. If I'm looking here, dating back to January 1st, he is second and he's about a quarter of a pick behind Altuve. A lot of people have Semien number one. I have Jazz Chisel number one, but I have Semien down at three. Are you with me in the Semien camp? He's a guy I'm just not drafting this year, and he's one of my popular bust candidates, which you can also read in the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide. Yeah, I just... 
Look, I, I know we've talked about the shallowness of second base previously, and, and mm -hmm. it sounds a little weird to be saying, well, this guy's a top three second baseman and we're not interested. But I'm I'm with you. Like, you can find 20-plus, 10-plus deal guys all over the place at second base. Right? Like, looking at, looking at our list, our, our rankings here, um they show projections with with that right mm -hmm. and if we're talking about guys who could go 20 10 altuve is probably not going to reach 10 stolen bases he doesn't really run anymore but he could hit 30 home runs okay so we'll keep altuve there because i'm not going to not draft jose altuve he's just too good for that if we're looking at other guys jazz chisholm could be a 2020 guy ozzy albies could be a 2020 guy Edmund could be a 10 homer, 20 steals guy. Um, Andres Jimenez could be a 10 homer, 20 steals guy. You could have Glaber Torres if he has a bounce back year, who could be a 2010 guy. You could have Jorge Polanco be a 2010 guy. Like, heck, Brandon Lau could be a 20, like, he steals bases in a sneaky way, right? Mm -hmm. And what do all of those guys have in common? All of their projected batting averages right now are at least 255 or above. Marcus Simeon's is 239. Yep. Well, I, I can't take a batting average hit from a middle infielder. I just can't do it. And if you're chasing, well, he's got a nice combination of home run and steals. Okay. I just named seven dudes who also have a nice combination of steals and homers because guess what? That's what a second baseman is supposed to bring to the table. And all of them have better batting averages. And if you're in OBP leagues, the tanking and batting average doesn't make up for, like, he's going to have a hard time walking so much that it makes up for 20 points less in batting average than the other guys. Absolutely. And the one thing that I kind of am a bit weary on, too, Texas ran a lot last year. I believe yes. they had the most in the league. Their new manager the last couple years, I understand the team makeup was a bit different. He's not exactly super aggressive on the base pass in terms of stealing bases. Yeah. And I already like, I know there's the rules in place, but I already anticipate Semyon stealing less than last year. And that's going to, that's going to knock down him for me. So you can check also, out. I just, I, I, as a side note, I know Jess Chisholm's on Miami um and whatnot but the rest of the guys it's hard not to trust their lineup better than texas is right now like mm -hmm. yeah they have seager and they they got but like josh jung is still basically a rookie for all intents and purposes um adolis garcia is pretty spectacular but he's very streaky um nathaniel lowe had himself a pretty good year but again he's still a youngster like Great, but the bottom half of that lineup is not is 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 not great. So if you're looking in terms of like run production or getting him around the bases, it's harder to make the case compared to the other guys I just named. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Top five third base. Uh Pete Cole wrote that. Check it out in the draft guide. One thing that jumped out to me, and you and I both are a bit down on this guy, but Pete's got Rafael Devers at two. Uh, I know you and I are more pro Riley. Um at two, if I remember correctly. So do you have a problem with Devers at two, or is it just like I can see it, but like you and I both agree that we're going to look elsewhere than Devers at third base. And I'd rather have Riley over Devers personally. 
Um, I, I agree. Like, I think Devers is in a spot where everything has to go right for him to hit number two third base value. Yep. Like, right now, Adam Ronis on his rankings that just dropped a couple of days ago for third base, he's got Devers at five. But he's got Jose Ramirez, Machado, Bobby Witt Jr., Austin Riley, then Devers, then Arenado, then Bregman. I could make the argument that I'd that I'd almost put Devers at seven. Yeah, like I mean, I'd I'm rather sure have Devers Arenado, is one of my bus guys too. I'd rather have Arenado and Bregman than than Devers. Like I'm just not on Devers this year. It may come back to bite me, but I just look at this like they traded for an injured Alberto Mondesi. To fill an injury hole in the middle infield, right? Like how? Like how? How does that make any sense? So you have Masataka Yoshida, who is brand new to MLB, has never seen breaking and sliding pitches and fastballs of this velocity with regularity in Japan. Sure, Japan, very good baseball league. A lot of them are quite good. Say that Suzuki was supposed to be outstanding, and then came and had massive adjustment problems, mm-hmm. right? Masataka Yoshida also doesn't have that much power. Like, say a Suzuki has more power than Yoshida. Um, I don't know if I trust Kike, Justin Turner. Like, there's probably a reason the Dodgers didn't re-sign Justin Turner. Probably because he's on his last legs, right? Um, I mean, heck, they've got Adam Duvall right now slated to play center field. Are we serious? Like, Really? You're going to put Adam Duvall in there over, like, Jaron Duran and let him go figure things out? Uh, I don't know. And then yeah. they traded for Alberto Mondesi, who they fully admit is not going to be ready for the for the start of the season to go replace Trevor Story, who's not going to be ready, nor he may also miss the whole dang season. So, like, how are we banking on Devers being the only actual bat in this lineup and putting him as anywhere in the top five third baseman? Yep. And I get it. Devers is going to be a very a very polarizing fantasy player. I think you're going to love him and want him, or you're not going to take him at all. You and I are both in the we're not going to take him camp. And it's not that I don't – you know, it's, it's like when we go back to the bus candidate. Devers isn't going to go 230 this year with 10 homers and two stolen bases. He's not. He's going to have a productive year, but at his price point, I can't justify right. taking him there. And that's that's the issue. Again, right. I don't I think either of us are saying, well, he's going to hit 200 with zero homers and 15 RBI and 15 runs, and he's going to get hurt and whatever. We're just saying that you're going to get comparable stats to basically seven or eight third basemen. So why expense the draft capital to get a guy you could get 15 rounds later and get better players elsewhere in shallower positions? Absolutely. And then we'll go to shortstop written by Ryan Kirksey. Once again, the fancy arm fantasy baseball draft guide. Bo Bichette ranked above Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt's a very endeared player to fantasy managers this year. I kind of like the Bichette above Witt personally. I don't I don't know if I'd do it in drafts per se, but reading what Kirksey had to write, I really like the rationale for it. And then if you any needed any ammo to the, you know, add to the fire, obviously Toronto's field dimensions would be quite nice. Although it should be a little bit better for lefties and righties, but regardless, it'd still be benefit 
nonetheless, I kind of like Bichette there where Kirksey has him ranked. It's interesting. Yeah, also Bichette just signed a three-year extension to avoid arbitration, if I saw that correctly. Um, on I believe it was reported on MLB Trade Rumors, if I saw that correctly. Um, yeah, I'm fine. I'm I'm fine with that. I think obviously Witt had a remarkable season last year. <sighs> But I don't know, like, if there's a bump coming, yeah. right? You're drafting him. Like, is it possible that there's a bump? Maybe. But, like, what if there's just not a, a, a bump, right? Like, he went 20 – he he had 20 homers and 30 steals last year at a 254 average. Let's say he hits 260 with 24 homers and 25 steals. That's essentially the same stat line, and you're paying for us, you're drafting him at his ceiling. And that just doesn't it just doesn't make any sense. So I, I don't have a problem with having um Bichette over over wit. I don't either. So two things we kind of want to touch on here for the last 10 or so minutes, make this one really quick. But compared to recent years, Matt, it seems like the draft actually does start at the first overall pick this year. Obviously, the first overall pick is the first pick in the draft. So technically, yes, that's where it starts. But it seems like in years past, if there wasn't a clear-cut unanimous guy, it was amongst maybe one or two players, right? This year... Since January 1st, the top players' ADPs are 2.5, 2.8, and 3. So we don't have a clear-cut number one. And since January 1st, as I'm looking here at NFBC data, Jordan Alvarez, Shohei Otani, Julio Rodriguez, Aaron Judge, Jose Ramirez, Ronald Acuna, and Trey Turner have all been pick number one, at least in one draft at NFBC. So we're talking to seven different players have gone off at pick number one. Is this the most disparity amongst the first overall pick that we've seen in fantasy, at least in recent memory? In recent memory, yeah. Um, I'd be hard-pressed to find a year where there's been less. Maybe there's been a year where there's been like two guys, right? Yes. But you just named, what, five or six? Yep. They've gone number one since since January 1st? So, yeah. Uh, and a lot of it's going to come down to, like, format. Like, if you're in points leagues where steals are a little less imperative, like, in right. points leagues, it's pretty much going to come down to, like, Judge, maybe Jordan, and maybe Acuna to an extent. But when you're playing categories, I mean, all seven of those guys, and do you want to build – and it's how you want to build your team. It also depends on how you can use Otani. Correct. Right, because some leagues you can only draft the hitter and then the pitcher is a separate guy. In some leagues, you have daily moves, and you can move them back and forth between util and pitcher whenever you want, so you get the start and you get the DH. Oh, you stuff. get two players. Some leagues, if it's a weekly thing, you got to pick your poison. Either he's going to start for you that week or he's going to hit for you, and at that point, you're losing basically half his value in those leagues because – you're almost unless you need like in my home league we have an innings minimum that you have to hit because we just say you need nine pitchers right mm -hmm. but to protect against people who just go out and get relievers so that you have an untouchable amount of saves and an untouchable set of ratios because you only have like 400 innings 
we set an innings minimum. So late in the year, you'll see people like the last few years for Otani, they have given up the hitting stats late in the year to just get his starts because they want the innings to hit the minimum, right? So it's going to depend on your format. I'm with you um, on on that. But it, this is certainly, certainly wide open um, to see... Yeah, how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys have gone one, and then you have another two guys that have a minimum pick of two, which is Juan Soto and Kyle Tucker. So, by the way, props to people figuring out that Kyle Tucker should be being drafted that high, like, as of, like, three years ago. Like, mm-hmm. The boat on Kyle Tucker has been way too slow to develop for a guy who's like a legit 30-30 threat, like yep. every season. Um, so, yeah, we're talking, all told, you've got like nine different guys who have gone either first or second so far since January 1st. That's insane. First of all, I'm not sure why Aaron Judge would go number one, to be perfectly honest, because like... What are you hoping for Aaron Judge to be a number one overall like what do you need him to do to make him worth the number one pick and you got it you're gonna have to bank some regression like obviously he's not hitting 62 homers again right but like what if he falls to like how many home runs do you need him to hit to make him worth the number one pick is it 50 i think at absolute minimum mid to upper 40s right so your cutoff is he's got to hit at least 45 bombs and then probably throw in what another 15 steals i mean obviously we're not getting 62 and whatever he had what 18 steals last year if i'm not mistaken um so with judge let's say this let's go back to 2017 right that year he hit 284 52 homers nine stolen bases that's seven. So obviously, ten less homers, seven less stolen bases, and twenty-seven-ish points. points off the yeah. batting average with 114 RBIs. So reduction across the board. Strikeouts are up too, by the way. But regardless, yeah. With that, what is 2017 season? And let's just even knock the home runs down a bit. Let's let's just go down to like 47. 47 homers, 114 RBIs, nine steals, and a 285 average. Does that get you number one? That's not good enough for me. Because the steals are going to steals boost value so much. I mean, it's not only that, but like Acuna could hit better than than two eighty four, right? Mm-hmm. Like Trey Turner in Philly is going to flat out feast. Like he's with Kevin Long again. When is it that Trey Turner really took off as a player? When the Nats hired Kevin Long, and Kevin Long called Trey Turner his dude. Mm-hmm. Okay. Trey Turner loves Kevin Long so much that the last two off seasons, while he was a Dodger, he literally got off season instruction from Kevin Long, the Phillies hitting coach. Didn't, didn't use the Dodgers hitting staff used Kevin Long talked with and texted with and got workouts from Kevin Long. That's who he's back with in Philly. And he's there with Bryce, who he liked as, when they were together as 
Nats. And he's back with Kyle Schwarber, who he liked when he was with Nats. And he's close to family. And the ballpark fits him. So, like, to me, Trey Turner is the is the number one pick. But, like, if we're going about Aaron Judge being number one, I have a hard time seeing that simply because you have to bake in regret. Like you're paying for him off of a career year, like literally a record setting near triple crown season. Mm -hmm. And you're expecting him to just go back out and do it again. Like, I, I don't know. I'd rather have Trey Turner at number one or Acuna at number one or Jose Ramirez at number one. Or if you can use Otani in a daily league as a pitcher and a hitter, I'm fine with him at number one. Jordan's a little tough for me because he just doesn't steal enough bags. Yep. Um, Turner's my guy too, but that's just. But to me, like if you take, if if you get the 2017 Aaron Judge, that's a first round player, but it's not a number one overall player. I think you've left value on the board. Yeah, I am. I am pro Trey Turner. You're looking at it. We're talking he's 2020 each the past two years with no worse than a 290 batting average. So I will take him. Thank you very much. Couple last things here, Matt. Um, we're in keeper season. That's where yeah. we're at. Let's be honest. So um, if you're not in our Discord, head in there. If you have keeper questions, Matt and I have been answering a couple that we've seen in there. Um, just talking keepers here. Um, general strategy with keepers, Matt, as we're seeing this, one thing that I like to point out is context is everything. Uh, we are happy to answer questions. Um, you can't provide too much information. That's one thing I've learned because every league setup is different. And that's, first off, that's what makes the game so much fun, right? Fantasy baseball is fun because of the ways you can customize it and make your own league and make it fun and everything like that. So when it comes to your keepers, like when we just look at it at face value, if it's like, hey, do I keep Trey Turner or Edwin Diaz? I'm not going to blink an eye. It's going to be Turner. But what we might not know is what if your league does you know, 30 points for a save. Okay. That's a little different. You know, then we have to start evaluating things. So for me, context is everything. And then general strategy for keepers. If you can keep guys forever, I do look towards youth, but if it's keeping a couple of guys from year to year and there's like no draft round associated with them, which is another key thing. A lot of times I play for that year. I will, especially if you're not keeping many guys, I'm playing for this year. I agree. Um, dynasty leagues are very tricky like this. Like how much do you want to play for this year versus build for the future? And I always think a healthy mix is fine. Like keep the guys you're pretty sure are going to produce this year who are younger and then get the bona fide stars who obviously will help you win this year as well. Um, but I, I'm with you on the details, right? So we, we get questions, and we're happy to answer the questions. Don't get us wrong. That's what we're here for. We love to do that. Love to help you learn how to think through strategies and whatnot. But it makes a difference, right? So, like, the other day we were asked a, a keeper question, and then I responded, well, is it a keep this year or keep for forever? Because it was a mix of, like, what, four or five bats and, like, three pitchers? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, if it's a keep this year, then I'm going with two two arms and three hitters. Yep. 
And if it's a keeper forever, I'm not giving up the fourth back because it was like Wander Franco. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then league size matters and whether it's categories head to head, five by five roto, six by six roto, even 10 by 10 roto, I've seen. Um, because there might be a guy that brings a niche stat that's hard to find mm -hmm. elsewhere. And you know, I've gotten questions on on uh, Twitter, and I get some of my friends on Facebook will hit me up on Facebook Messenger and be like, "Hey, who who should I, you know, keep here?" And again, they don't necessarily provide all of the relevant information um, for, you know, is there draft capital? associated with it either in a pick or dollar value um or you know same thing with trades like you, you want to make a trade great the offseason leading up to the draft in keeper and dynasty leagues is a great time to make trades i'm in some trade discussions in some of my home leagues right now but again we've got to know like if you're going to come to us and say can i trade garrett cole in this six player package Okay, the names sound great, but what does your starting pitching look like? Because if Garrett Cole's your only dude and you're only getting, like, Tyler Anderson back and five hitters, it's probably going to be a no. Even though six dudes for Garrett Cole is nice, it's going to leave you short-staffed elsewhere. So um, in, in terms of our general – my general keeper strategy is to get as much value – out of a guy as possible in a position of need, right? So we'll give you a, a, a perfect example. We've talked about how deep third base is, right? And how shallow second base is. So let's say you have the chance to keep um, Ozzy Albies, for 25 bucks in a $260 budget in a normal like five by five roto league, right? Or you have the chance to keep, um, I don't know who's a third baseman. We could Bregman. Let's say you could keep Bregman for 20 bucks. So now it's Albies at 25 or Bregman at 20. Albies is a little more expensive, but that $5 at second base makes a bigger difference than it does at third base. Correct. Right? Like, even if you get Bregman back at, let's say, 25 bucks, did you spend more than five? Okay, sure. But if Ozzy Albies is the only second baseman or one of three second basemen that gets tossed back in, you can guarantee that you're going to have to pay, like, 40 bucks for Ozzy Albies. Yep. So it's all about... Like, if you're going to ask us keeper questions, it also helps for us to know, can you kind of figure out who's keeping who, right? I had a friend of mine ask about keeping a first baseman or a first baseman trade or something in one of his keeper leagues. And I said, well, you've been in this league for a while. Do you know, like, what, like, is there a lot of first basemen that are going to get tossed back because they're all just about the same guy except for maybe a couple of them? Or are they getting kept because they're decent enough values and first base is a shallow position, people don't want to worry about it? And so he, 
he was like, well, let me let me see if I could sort that out. So he comes back a few hours later and says, I think most of the top guys are going to be kept, and then it's just going to be a bunch of mid-tier. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, in that case, you're trading a guy who's mid-tier, and there's other mid-tier guys who are going to cost about the same, and you're getting more value out of the trade than you would at the draft, so make the trade. But if like only top guys would be left, but this guy who like I think it was Rizzo, who kind of like some people could consider him like in the top eight first baseman, and some would consider him like only a top 15 guy, right? If he's the only one left, then you can't give him up in this package because you're gonna hamstring yourself at first base. So um the long-winded way to say we need all of the data that you can possibly give us so that we can give you the best possible answer from our opinion. We obviously don't know what's going to transpire on the baseball field for 162 games, but, um, you know. And, by the way, it's okay to disagree with our take. If you don't want to do something, don't do it. Follow your gut. It's your team. Your name's on it. You're the one playing for the money, putting the money in, or or just bragging rights if it's a free league. Your team, you can do what you want. We're just here to give our opinions on stuff. Doesn't mean you have to make the trade. Now, if you give us a trade that is so one-sided and so blatantly obvious and you don't do it, it might be ridiculed a little bit. But still, your team, your decision, if it works out, great. Doesn't, okay. You know, it happens. And- and when it comes to keepers too, like one of the articles in the draft guide is like know your league rules and everything. Let's yeah. say you let's say you had a change in your league, right? Last year you could start three shortstops. If you can only start two shortstops this year, you know, if you have Trey Great Turner, one. Bobby Witt, and O'Neill Cruz, as much as you might like O'Neill Cruz like me, if you can't you can't keep someone you can't start every day. Like right. at like your lineup and anything like that is going to come into play. Like, for example, you might have had Wander Franco. He's a guy you want to keep. He didn't play a lot last year, so you ended up adding O'Neill Cruz, right. and you're good. Can you can you feasibly keep and start Franco, Cruz, Turner, and maybe another shortstop no. every single day? If you can't, you either have to try to make a trade now before keepers, or you're going to have to throw one back. Like you can't keep somebody that you can't start. That is a like they're good, yes, but that is a waste of a roster spot. Right. Don't keep. Don't keep depth. Like it sounds weird to to say that, but don't keep a guy who's going to eat a bench spot because you don't know what's going to happen in the draft. Yeah, and the only you way don't you want can somebody do that. to fall through the cracks in the draft or there to be, oh, this guy screwed up and let Bobby Witt Jr. go instead of keeping him, and I can't get a fifth shortstop, right? Like. It's just not going to, like, I know technically Bobby Witt probably qualifies at third base in most right. leagues, but still, like, that's the other thing. Know how many positions it takes to qualify for a multi-position or a new position from the previous year. Yeah, and like, and you don't want to keep depth because, like, you know, we've talked about it. We've, last year's podcast, we've talked about it numerous times. How long can O'Neill Cruz feasibly stay at shortstop, right? We've talked about that. Well, then you move into right field probably late this year. But if you're talking about your keepers are decided on February 15th without the knowing that he's going to get outfield eligibility, you cannot keep him if you cannot start him every single day. Because you're, I understand he sucked against lefties last year. I get it. 
but you're going to start O'Neill Cruz every single day. But if you can't, you can't keep him unless you are tuned in to this inside information that Pittsburgh is going to play him in right field once a week or something. If you don't know that, you cannot keep depth. Those rosters yeah, by the way, way if, they play him, if they play him in right field once a week and your league takes 20 games exactly. to qualify, you're not getting him at, at, in outfield until like September. Which doesn't matter if your team stinks. Right. Some leagues are five games to qualify. Some are 10. My personal home leagues, uh, both Dynasty and whatnot, are 20. Okay. So that goes with the knowing your your league rules and perhaps your categories are different for rotos than ours so please like if it's a basic one you can say it's a standard five by five roto but if there's other categories let's make sure we know okay it's obp instead of batting average or it's ops instead of batting average or it's net steals instead of stolen bases or solds right like because that also makes a difference with relievers. So we will rarely tell you to keep it. Like, if it's Edwin Diaz, sure. If it's, like, Ryan Presley, <clears throat> sure. Um, there's a couple of guys that are locked in, right? Mm -hmm. But other than that, I'd rather take a, a guy with a, with, a, with a guaranteed role. Um, and you can't keep a player off of hope. Yep. yep. Like, like with with the Aaron Ashby situation and the Brewers, like sure they have four locked in guys, but if you're like, well, I could sneak into Wade Miley because he's practically free and he's going to be a fifth starter. No, he won't. I mean, he is now, but let's say he gets lit up in his first three springs, spring performances. He's not going to be a fifth starter, and now you're locked into keeping a guy who's just dead weight, right? Um, the Red Sox rotation is a disaster right now, like. I don't know what they're doing with it. There's like three dudes who could be a bullpen piece or could be a starter. Can't keep those guys. You can't like Garrett Whitlock is a talented guy, but if he's a middle reliever or an eighth inning guy, he has zero keeper value for you. Yep. And you can't go, well, I'm going to keep him hoping he gets 30 starts because I don't think that's happening this year. I really don't. Can't keep, can't keep off hope. But ultimately, when you know, we'd love to hear from you in the Discord. Post those keeper questions. Yep. Keeper questions, at least for me, they're a hell of a lot of fun to answer. Or you can always hit us up on Twitter, and we can too. discuss them on the pod each week too. Yeah, um, Twitter, Discord. Matt's at the salesman. I'm at Colby R. Conway. Would love to hear. I personally enjoy keeper questions. There's a lot of fun. The strategy involved yes. with them is great. But that's gonna put a bow on this week's episode. So make sure you head over to fantasyalarm.com and get your access i'm already learning to the free fantasy alarm fantasy baseball draft guide so make sure you go get that and of course we're recording this on thursday february 9th um if it's out before the big game that's happening this weekend join our what is it the big game contest that we yeah, have on the fantasy, site it's fantasyalarm.com slash big game uh it's a free contest again free all you got to do is answer 32 i think Questions about the game, just like standard prop type stuff, like who, um, you know, you know, your standard Super Bowl questions. What color is the Gatorade going to be? What What's the first car commercial? What's the first beer commercial? Uh, uh, Rihanna. I think there's a question about the halftime show in there. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's some obvious, you know, there's some game, you know, questions about the game too. Um, and if you win, you get 250 bucks and, you know, to, to go spend how you like. If you finish second, I think it's a free year uh, subscription to FA. And if it's third place, I think that there's another prize for third place, maybe some merch or something. I don't remember, but the rules are, are, are there. So go ahead and enter fantasyalarm.com slash big game. Fantasyalarm.com slash big game. It is $250 to first, one-year subscription to second, and a three-month subscription to third. So that'll be it for you. So check that out. Check out all the great stuff at fantasyalarm.com. But for Matt Sells at The Sells Man on Twitter, I'm Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And we will see you next time for the next edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast.